Well, all right, we've come to the end, the last couple of chapters. We're on the judge and let us be kings. So thanks for sticking with me for this long. I hope you've been blessed by what we've gotten out of this. I think this last two chapters are the ones I'm most passionate about, actually. The ones we've gone through before, all the setup about how to be a man and how to act like a man. And now we really get to why does it matter so much? We talked about complacency, the first step in the loss of masculinity. And I think a lot of Christian men who walk with the Lord are at the complacency point. And what I'd like to do through this lecture and through these two chapters is pull you out of there and tell you why you should care. What I want to do is take you to the island of Patmos. So the apostle John, who was the youngest of the apostles, he walked with Jesus for three years. He was one of the top three. He knew Jesus well. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Now he's an old man. He's been sentenced to Patmos. There's no trees. There's no way. Now, if you go to Patmos today, there's trees. They've transported them there. They made a tourist destination. But back in then, there were no natural trees on Patmos. You were sent there to die. You were sent there to do whatever you could to scrabble out food until you finally starved to death or you died of thirst from a lack of water because you were surrounded by salt water. So there John is. All of the disciples have now been murdered. All of them have been tortured to death. John's the last remaining guy. He's watched Paul. He's watched Peter. He watched James 50 years earlier be uh, tortured to death. He's watched massive persecution. Nero has come and gone by this point. Nero and all the atrocities that he committed. John has lived incredible pain through his complete abandonment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of his pain, tradition says the Romans tried to kill him and they weren't able to. And whether that's true or not, we don't know. But for whatever reason, they stuck him out on this rock and they said, go die. So John is worshiping the Lord one day when suddenly he turns around and there stands Jesus. Now it's an interesting thing because John, the guy who's given his life <clears throat> as much as anybody ever has to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's known Jesus as, as well as anybody on earth ever has, when he sees Jesus, he faints as one dead. He describes this incredible figure of who Jesus is. He's seeing Jesus in his glorified body. And the look of who Jesus is terrifies John. Terrifies him so much that Jesus has to go over and pick him up and say, John, it's me. Let's have a conversation. Now let's start right there with the importance of fear of the Lord. I, I see more Christians who see things in God's word and they, eh, well, that's what it says, but I have a different opinion. I see more Christians who live in blatant known sin and who don't feel compelled to change. I hear all the time, well, Jesus loves me, and so I, I struggle in this area, but you know, he still loves me. And, and by the way, I struggle in this area is Christian euphemism for I'm sinning and I don't want to give it up. I struggle in this area. The Jesus that John saw, John who's closer to Jesus than any of us, and he fainted as dead at the, at the sight of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we should see Jesus. And so we see people all the time talking about, oh, I, I, ran, I saw Jesus, he appeared to me and we had a nice little chat. Well, gosh, it would be strange that anybody today would react so casually when John the apostle was struck almost dead from seeing his glory. I think that should give us great measure and great caution about people who brag about seeing supernatural beings. And by the way, it wasn't just Jesus. We look throughout scripture and we see Abraham, and we see Daniel, and we see 
great men of God running into angels and always being stricken with awe and terror. And I think anybody who isn't struck in that way by seeing angels or, or Jesus, we should probably take their stories with a great, with a grain of salt. So here's John, he sees Jesus and he sees him in his majesty. And Jesus says to John, I have some words for you to write down to seven churches. Now, there are a lot of um, speculation about these churches, but I think most people agree that these churches, clearly they were real places, but also they represented churches throughout the, the church age. And why do we say that? Well, one of the biggest reasons we say that is the Church of Philadelphia. Jesus says to the Church of Philadelphia, here's some stuff for you guys. And by the way, some of you will never see death. You're just going to go straight to heaven. Well, all the people in Philadelphia died. So we think he was meaning both then and then the, those who represent Philadelphia, who are like the Church of Philadelphia. And if you read John chapter 1, 2, and 3, you'll see what I mean. There's seven distinctive churches. From those words, I want us to gain some certain wisdom so that we can circle this back around to masculinity. As Jesus starts to give his words to these churches, he comes to Ephesus first. And he gives Ephesus a warning. He has great things to say about Ephesus. This is the, the church to whom Ephesians was written by Paul about probably 40 years earlier. And he says to the Ephesians, you guys are doing great, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. And what devastating words there are for that. You think about a church that's gone through all it has. It's seen firsthand the persecution of the great saints of the Lord, of the disciples, and they've lost their first love. I think a lot of us are in that place. We, we, we love Jesus, we follow him, but it's grown stale. It's like a marriage where it's grown stale. And we talk about marriage and we've talked about this whole course and we've talked about keeping your ambition, keeping your passion for your wife, keeping a vision. Well, it's the same as we are the wife to Jesus, keeping our passion to serve him. And we get to a place when we've lost that first love, we start to get a little compromised. We want all this in Jesus too. We, we love Jesus, we, we love his word, but kind of the word, temptations of the world, the security of money, fame, lost all the things that we've talked about. There be, starts to become a little bit of compromise. Losing your first love is that first part. I'm not talking about the superficial love in a marriage. I'm talking about, you know, I've been married for 33 years and I still have a crush on my wife and that's diligent and it's it's work, but it doesn't feel like work because it's a part of that relationship. Same with our relationship with Jesus. When you lose your first love, compromise can start to seep in. When you lose your first love, watch out and be careful. And I'm talking about both marriage and I'm talking about our walk with Christ. But on a walk with Christ, when you lose your first love, you start to lose a fear, a healthy respect for the Lord and scripture. Warning number two is selling out the gospel. Now, we're not hitting all the warnings Jesus gives to all the churches. These are the ones that I've decided to highlight as they regard to masculinity. When you lose your first love, now the gospel starts to become not as precious as it was. And we see a big problem in the Western world today, especially in the United States, of people profiting from God's word. Now, I'm not talking about pastors who get paid. I'm not talking about people who write books and make money to, from their books. And I don't make any money from any of my books. I give it all away. But God's blessed me in business, so I haven't needed to. So I don't mean that. And I don't mean we judge people who make a living from God's word. You need to be very careful about that. People have a right 
to put food on the table if their full-time vocation is gospel. But I am talking about people who sell God's word for profit beyond making a living and who sell out God's word by not standing for it completely. There are a lot of people who are purposely misinterpreting God's word today to make it more palpable to themselves so that they can be more popular. And we have talked a little bit about this, but Jesus gives us the road to holiness in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And he has said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We've talked a little bit about this. When you get to the point of realizing you bring nothing to the table for your salvation except for the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, as Jonathan Edwards said, that's the beginning of holiness. And as you walk through that road to holiness, as he gives the Beatitudes, you get to the end and his promise is, Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. So how do you know when you're really holy, when you really are serving the Lord, when you're sold out and you're going to have all the rewards that he has for you, when people hate you and say evil things about you because you're serving the Lord, not because you're a jerk. That's an important distinction to make sometimes. So we start to sell out the gospel. We try to start to compromise it. We start to come back a little bit. There's a little bit of cowardice, a little bit of greed. What can I do to make this not uncomfortable for me? Instead of declaring the word of God, as it says, because sometimes it's countercultural and sometimes it's not going to make us friends. And a lot of times I mean that in the church, a lot of churches will throw you out. And those of you who know me well have seen what I've gone through with promise keepers as churches have canceled promise keepers and thrown us out because they don't want compromise. They don't want protesters. They don't want someone stating the word of God the way it is. We will not sell out the gospel. Why won't we? Because we haven't lost our first love. Because I'm in love with Jesus and every every waking moment I want to spend serving him. And if the plane starts to go down, if I'm told I have terminal cancer, I want my only regret to be that I don't get to do more for Christ and that I don't get to see my grandkids come to adulthood. That's the only regret I want there to be because we have an audience of one. So we have warning one, don't lose your first love. Warning two, don't sell out the gospel. Warning three, and here we go, ladies and gentlemen, tolerating Jezebel. Jesus says to the church of Thyatira, I have this against you, tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, who is Jezebel? A lot of you will know. She was the queen that usurped the throne um, back in the Old Testament. And God had to call up Jehu and tell him, go kill that woman. And, and Jehu actually goes to kill her, but he doesn't actually kill her. He kills the two kings on the way to her. And when he gets to her, he orders the eunuchs that are with her throw that woman down and they do and it's ironic and then the symbolism is great the, the men who were castrated by that the woman are the ones who actually turn against her and it changes the kingdom of, around now god's saying there's a jezebel he's he's making a symbolism here it's a woman who calls herself a prophetess who's using sex and feminism and compromise to compromise his saints and so where, where are they at? They can't fight against her effectively because they've fallen into her sexual trap. And Jesus has some tough words there. He says, actually, her children, that is, those who are fully involved in cycling, I will kill with deadly disease. Oops. This is the Jesus we talked about, the all-powerful Jesus, the one that we say, oh, well, I'm, I'm sinning, but that's okay. He, he loves me. Well, he, he does love you, and he will kill you. Based on this passage, and, and we're talking now Revelation 2 and 3, if you are fully immersed in tolerating this woman Jezebel and following her, who is deceiving his saints through sexual sin and through feminism and compromise. So how do you get there? You lose your first love. So now you start to compromise on Scripture a little bit. 
Now you start to sell out the gospel. You start to show cowardice. You start to show compromise. You, you don't want to stand fully up for the, God's word. And now you are fully falling into the trap of demonic teaching based around sexual temptation. We have warning four, don't be a hypocrite. Boy, I tell you, Jesus doesn't like hypocrites. We see over and over again, you look at uh, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 24 or so. Matthew 24, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, tell us about the end times. And he does, he says, you know, all the stuff that you may have heard, um, two men running up a hill, one taken and one left, women grinding at the mill, one taken and one left. Uh, and you know, when you see the, all these signs, earthquakes and wars, it's the beginning of birth pangs, he says all that. Then he concludes and he basically says, that, blessed are you when your master goes on a long journey, if he comes back and finds you serving him, that master put him in charge, that, that servant in charge of many things. But if that servant says in his heart, my master's gone on a long journey, I don't know when he's going to be back. So he starts to eat and drink with drunkards and beat his fellow slaves. I tell you the truth, he will be cut into pieces and thrown into the outer darkness with who? With the hypocrites. So there's a lot there and it could be a whole message, but, but it briefly cut into pieces means by the truth of the word of God. It divides bone and tendon and marrow and all that. So the, the word of God is, the truth has cut him up. The outer darkness is being thrown out of the wedding feast of the lamb, but he's thrown out, interesting, the people who are there are the hypocrites. And Jesus really doesn't like hypocrites. He says, if I come back and find you serving me, you'll be put in charge of many things, greatly rewarded. But if you are eating and drinking of drunkards, that means living the good life without any worry about consequences and beating your fellow slaves. Why would a slave beat his fellow slaves? So that they would do his work. So if you're not doing the work that God gave you to do, but you're counting on other people to do it, you're, that's eating and, and that's beating your fellow slaves. And who are you throwing out with is the hypocrites. And over and over we see that the hypocrites, the hypocrites, the hypocrites, they're always the ones on the out in the outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth, which by the way, doesn't mean hell or pain. Weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Near East would mean weeping sorrow, gnashing of teeth, anger. They're wasted. I wasted my life. Don't be a hypocrite. Be a man. Do what you say you're going to do. Mean it. Don't slime around trying to get away with stuff behind people's backs. So I act like I'm pious over here, but I've got my porn problem over here. Or I act like I was just dealing with somebody the other day who who came here to tell me what a great godly man he is and all the great godly things he wanted to do. And when he left, my staff said, we can't stand that man. Really? Why not? He treats people abusively. Really? Tell me more about that. And so I had several of my staff telling me how abusive this guy is to them and how he talks down to them. And yet he comes to me and, and puts on his pious, I'm a great Christian guy face. That's a hypocrite. That's someone who will be in the outer darkness. Don't be that guy. How do you get that way? You lose your first love. You start to compromise. You start to tolerate bad doctrine. And now you're a hypocrite because you're not really sure what's true, but you just want the approval of other people so that you can gain their approval when really you've got a bunch of stuff going on over here. Let this come out. Whatever you are, be, who you, be true to who you are. That's being a man. A hypocrite is being not a man. That is counter to masculinity. It's someone who doesn't have enough courage to stand up and be who he really is, but he's trying to be an actor. The last compromise is becoming lukewarm. So we see this decline. Scripture often does that. It gives us steps. And once you reach the end, you're lukewarm. You think, well, gosh, is that worse than being a hypocrite? Well, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, 
So he's, he's talking to Philadelphia about how great they are. To Laodicea, he says, you guys are lukewarm. You make me want to puke. Well, those are the words he uses. And he says, by the way, if you repent, you know, I'll, I'll come in and forgive you. But he really, really doesn't like the lukewarm. He says, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were just dead to the faith or on fire for the faith. But because you're lukewarm, you make me want to throw up. You've now gotten to a point where you just don't care. We've talked a little bit about this before, the decline of masculinity where you get to complacency and you don't care anymore. But this is a, a lukewarmness in your faith where, you know, I just don't do anything. I don't stand for anything. There's a really powerful scene in Dante's Inferno where if you've read the book, the poem, um, the angel Virgil comes and he takes Dante and Dante has to go through hell to get to heaven. And as they get to the gates of hell, there's all these priests running around and the priests are being stung by giant wasps and over and over again and they can't move. They're outside the gates of hell and, and Dante turns to Virgil and he goes, what, what is this? And the guy says, well, these were all the priests that never stood for anything. They were lukewarm. They never took, had any convictions about anything. They just kind of mealy mallied around, trying not to make anybody upset. So heaven doesn't want them and nor does hell. So they haven't been allowed into the gates of hell. And their punishment for all of eternity is because they would never take a stand on earth. Now they never get to stand. They have to flee these hornets for the rest of eternity. It's not a very pleasant picture, but it's an interesting, you know, from the thousand year old work of Dante's Inferno. You know, here we're given this mental picture of the importance of standing strong for something. And the lukewarm, the ones that don't stand for anything, they're even worse than the hypocrites. So let's not be those. All right. What we really want to get here now is to the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us all these warnings, but he's also given us promises of things. Jesus says to the one who perseveres, I will pull him into my throne with me at my father's right hand. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Perseveres in what? Perseveres in obeying the Lord Jesus Christ all the way until death. The last words of Jesus are, behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to each person according to what he has done. Wow, is that to everybody? No, because the believer, unbelievers are not gonna get rewarded, only believers. When you've gotten saved, you were given something. What were you called to do? to obey scripture. God says, here is my word. Here is who I am. Here is what pleases me. And if you live according to these standards, a lot of what we've talked about here, then you will be rewarded. You will reign with me. You will be in the bride of Christ. You will be at the celebration of the lamb. You'll be lauded with, there's five different crowns we're told that we're given. And if you do not, you suffer the consequences that we're talking about. Separation from the, lamb, from the peace of the lamb. Outer darkness with the hypocrites. Which one will we be? So there's great rewards and crowns. And what is it? God says how we're supposed to behave. We don't say how we're supposed to behave. You as a man, part of you walking with Christ is being masculine. And it comes from here. It's not performance oriented. It's not being macho or anything else. It comes from right here. I don't care how big you are, how small you are, how artistic you are, how what a warrior you are. Does it come from the truth of the word of God? Is this who you are? Will we stand strong and be counted as men? Let us do that because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And when he does, if he finds us working for him in the way he has laid out for us to work for him, then there'll be great rewards. And he says at the end of Matthew 24, I'll put you in charge of many things. Let us not be found slumbering. Let us not be found trying to serve him in how we think instead of what he said. And I would encourage you all as we close 
Read Matthew chapter 5 through 7. This is Jesus separating himself from the crowds, going up on the hill and teaching only his disciples. And that we know by the end people are coming and listening, but he's only talking to his disciples. Here's how you become my disciple, not how you got saved. Getting saved is real easy, believe. Be born again. But if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be holy and sanctified, this is the recipe, and it's hard. But will you persevere? Because if you do, you will have all the joy and the power and the unity and the peace that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth and great rewards and reigning with him in the future. Five different crowns promised us. Which one will you be? Act like a man. Act like a son of the Lord Jesus Christ.